Welcome to Paulas, a podcast about real life experiences from the mouths of legit working class people. Hiya! Hey up! I'm Selena. And I'm um, just a couple of Paulasses doing a podcast. Alright, Selena, how are we doing? I'm alright. I'm a bit tired actually, but yeah, I'm alright. Well, you know, tonight's the night, big goggle box night. Look forward to it all week now. So, uh, what we should probably say is, we've got a special guest lurking in the background. And we should, before we introduce who the special lurking guest is, uh, let's intro this special episode. So, we have got four special guests on tonight. And um, this is part one of our new, what do we want to call it? Like, pandemic diaries or summer, maybe we'll... I was going to suggest, like, the COVID diaries, but I didn't know if that was a bit rubbish and it might have been a bit done. That was going to be my suggestion (laughs) too. (laughs) We'll have to think of a snappier title. Uh, But yeah, so these next few episodes are going to be talking to real people, um, sharing their stories about what life's been like for the past year. And the first guest to kick things off is VIP, my very own mother, Kaz Ledge. I am actually buzzing about it, Hey up. Hey up. Here's Karen, obviously Ledger. And I work in a doctor's surgery. I'm 60 years old and I've worked there 20 years, just gone January the 20th. Have that. That's my 20th anniversary. So that's my little bit about me. Oh, I've got (laughs) R, Emma and R, Sam. (laughs) And Alan is still shielding from work and it's nearly a year since he uh, was at work. And he's fuming. Uh, that's my husband, yeah. And um, he retires officially in July, so he probably won't get back to work. <laughs> they just be off work until he <laughs> retires, though. Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's Alan. Um, so, do you want me to talk about what's happened to me in the last year? Yes, please. Yeah. So we've had your background. We know Why? that you've got two incredibly famous and excellent kids. Um, <laughs> so Actually, I'm not going to lie. I feel like your mum's more famous than you, Em. I feel like for long-time listeners, this is, this is going to be a treat. <laughs> well, do you think I'm going to get Tommy wow. Top, do you? Do you think it'd be like, God, ledge yeah. boring. Let's have Kaz on instead. <laughs> yeah, I do swine right so um lockdown i've worked all the way through it i was two weeks into lockdown at the doctor's surgery and i myself got covid was really quite unwell um for the first two weeks i I think i lost nearly three quarters of a stone i couldn't eat just constantly coughing really tired um in the surgery you were the first person to get it weren't you i was yeah and still the first person only person in the surgery why i dropped for it i don't know <laughs> um oh <dear. laughs> so uh i self-isolated uh, as so, sorry alan self-isolated with me and he didn't get it as long as far as we know. And then after three weeks, I returned to my job. Um, it's a job that I can't do working from home, obviously. I have to be there. 
when lockdown started, we just disinfected. We were like mad people, disinfecting doors that we opened. We went to the toilet and disinfected the toilet seat and the handle. Just everything, phones, everything we disinfected. And it's been like that ever since. Um, if you cough or you sneeze, you're you, you cleaning your hands. Um, so when we went um, into lockdown, we had to notify all patients that they couldn't come into the surgery. And everybody that used to come in to collect the prescriptions, the sick notes, anything like that, um, we had to... Uh, what we say, tag them to a, a chemist of their choice where they lived near and all the prescriptions would then go to the chemist instead of them coming to us. Sick notes, we emailed patients um, so we had no actual contact with the outside world really. The old people really suffered with this. We've got, um, we work at a doctor's surgery that we have a lot of old people and we were part of their social calendar. Um, like, you know, they like to go to post office, etc. Well, we were part of that. And they were, I don't know, feeling really lonely and isolated. Um, they would ring for the prescriptions and say, oh, we really miss you. And um, we'd love to see you. Can we not come in for our prescriptions? No, we can't. You know, we can't get you to come in. Um and yeah, it, it just escalated from there, really. The nurses weren't seeing any patients unless it was absolutely necessary. Um, the phones were all still busy, um, people ringing up all the time. Um, but yeah, really strange. I was going to say, have you found that patients have been generally on the whole quite understanding? Or have you had people getting a bit aggy or...? Um, they've been quite understanding, really. They've been quite. The worst we have we have had really is um, now with everybody's getting COVID vaccinations because they're ringing up and saying, "Oh, my friend who lives around corners had hers, but I haven't had mine yet. <laughs> How comes that?" And then their son or daughter rings up and says, "My mother hasn't had a COVID vaccination yet." And <laughs> They get quite ratty about that. But really, to be fair, with the first lockdown, especially because it was very, you know, it, that was strange for everybody, I think. Yeah. And lots of people weren't working, obviously. I think they were pretty understanding, to be That's fair. Mm. Alan went back to work after self-isolating and then he had to be shielded. So when I were coming home from work, I had to take all, you know, my gear off what I'd gone to work in and put fresh on before I could sort of see him. Obviously for not, because he was at home and I were mixing with people at work. So that was a bit strange, you know, not your normal thing. Mum, um, you were saying as well about how, you know, it's not like you could go into the west wing of the house, could you, to avoid Dad? You know, you oh, were no. quite close yeah. quarters. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't sort of self-isolate. Well, I couldn't isolate um, from each other. You know, you were only like a three-bedroom family. Do you know what I mean? We hadn't got an ensuite. 
so there's nothing like that <laughs> to um you know we, we went to the same toilet you same toilet and bathroom and sink and whatever so yeah um so we still lived together it was just a matter of me getting rid of anything that off my clothes or whatever which you know i mean some days i'd, I'd wear scrubs or whatever uh, we all were issued with them and then you take them off and put them straight in washer um yeah it's been a a strange time what about mum in terms of like the fact that you couldn't just not go to work could you you had to go to work you know your mm. your job like you said earlier you couldn't work from home you have to go to work how did you feel about knowing that your chances of getting covid were higher because you had to go out there you know and knowing that dad were high risk as well like how did that feel mm. we were all very nervous at work i mean where you'd like to sit and have a chat and, and you know, uh, it, it got very serious at work. Um, you were carrying stuff around with you to clean your hands all the time, wipes, whatever. And, um, yeah, it, it was very serious. Um, you felt, I don't know, what's the word? Um, you felt vulnerable. Even just walking to work, you know, um at that uh, I think at the first was it just um a meter between each other at first I think it was wasn't it then it went up to two meters yeah but it was just traveling to work and thinking I mean when I got COVID I kept thinking where on earth have I got this from do you know what I mean you think is it somebody I've passed walking to work is it somebody at work obviously it wasn't because nobody else has had it um but yeah, I did feel very vulnerable. I um, had to go <laughs> for the COVID test, which wasn't considered now was like in the first month of lockdown. I had to go uh, to a place just outside of Doncaster Royal Infirmary and um, this um, person come out dressed in full gear. Oh God, it, it, she looked like... Um, I don't know, a space man. She came out and she said, um, it's very uncomfortable that she stuck um, a swab down my throat. And I swear she's got my tonsils with that one. And then she shoved one up my nose and I swear she touched my brain. Because <laughs> 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 it was so uncomfortable. I, I, I just like... When, when it went down my throat, I'll go, <gasps> like, do you know what I mean? Because I thought, God, what is she doing here? So that was very uncomfortable. And the day after, when they rang me to tell me I was positive, I just broke down. I, I was inconsolable. I just cried and cried and cried. Um, and the first person I went I rang was my sister, and she didn't answer her phone. And I'm like, um, yeah, so, it, it, yeah very uncomfortable that yeah I do it twice a week uh, at the moment we're all giving given flow tests from uh, the doctors so I have to do mine on Monday and Thursday and we just um, swab our noses uh, once uh, well swizzle it round on each nostril and then we, we um, put it into a solution and so then that's drop a it bit- onto a meter 
that's a bit better than yeah, isn't it? Wait for your results. Yeah. Waiting for your line. <laughs> yeah. I says Alan says the other day, Oh, you've got two lines. I went, Don't stop messing about because two lines as you positive, obviously. One is negative. So to be fair, I have Alan only got his injection last week. So he I've been te- he's been testing himself as well, using one of mine. Um, you know, to make sure you were all right. So yeah, it's just part of life at the minute, I'm afraid. I got my um, COVID injection really early on because I worked for NHS, which was really good. I got that in January. So just waiting for my second one now. Um, But yeah, I feel a bit more comfortable at work now because we've got screens up, we've got, yeah, we have patients coming in, but we have, um, as you walk into the surgery, we've got um, a square and they've got to stand in that square so they're not near us. Um, We have a box where they drop samples off and things like that. Um, So they're not actually... You know, in contact with us really, so that's that's good. So, Mum, what what would you say in the last year has been the hardest part of of getting through lockdown? Not seeing family. Um, Alan's family live in Lancashire. We've not seen them for over a year. Um, my sister, I don't see my sister, and I used to see her at least once a week. We're not seeing her at the minute. And like my, nie- my great niece, um, our Wendy's granddaughter, we, we've only seen her, I think, twice, and she'll be a year old in July. So that's been a big thing. Um, obviously, when we do see her again, she'll not know us and probably scream when she looks at me. <laughs> Behave. Um, and yeah, just little, you know, well, not little things, big things, just missing family. Um, Alan not being able to go to work as well, because I know he gets really low. Um, that's been a, a bit of a downside to things as well. He's baking all the time, Selena. So um, I've put a few pounds on because there's only me and him eating it. I was gonna say, that's a bonus for you, though, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't first <laughs> when he's necking like three times a week scones um, today he's made another cake <laughs> Just, do you know what I mean so um, yeah and I'll say to him I don't want a big tea when I come home tonight and then I come home and he's like made Yorkshire pudding sausage um, mash all the bag of mashings sauce, um, oh just do you know what I mean? He just adds things all the time. Uh, yeah, but mum, remember as well, well, he's getting into making yeah. all his new meals, isn't he? Trying all his new food. So you're in for a treat oh, with yeah. these. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's... Uh, <laughs> if, he could, if he could speak to you, Selena, he'll say, well, I've started eating peppers and what else? Um bit of bread. <laughs> Pitta bread. Oh, I always said, what's pitta bread? Is that that one with envelope in it? Or what's that? <laughs> yeah, that's pitta bread. Um, what, uh, what else What else has he started eating? Oh, he went to, he got some garlic, or spinach. 
We've got all these spices now, paprika, spices. Uh, onion salt, garlic, garlic salt. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm waiting for his cookbook. Well, I'll tell you something. When when we come down to Emma's, I'll get him to make you a cake and I'll and get, come and get it. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's a deal. Honestly, he makes the best cakes, doesn't he, Emma? He is good. He is good. Down downside as well is not seeing obviously Sam and uh, Lauren yeah. so because they're think... in Brighton so they're too far aren't they we can't even in safe times you couldn't justify travelling all that way on all public transport no no and I wouldn't have expected him to try and get here anyway so yeah, um, yeah it, it's you know I feel now that with injections we're sort of getting them getting there a bit um i don't know what you think but you know obviously yours is going to be i think before july the first one yeah we'll um, see we'll see but mm. so i guess to to close i've got a question for you if there were a knock on door and you opened it and it were boris what are you saying what are you going to say to boris i'm not a conservative I, I sure bloody I well hope not <laughs> My dad would turn great if I spoke to Boris Johnson, but I think he he did quite well at first with it all. He had a lot uh, actually coming into his job with Brexit. That's a different thing. But if he knocked on my door now, um, I would have said, I would say he was very slow off the off, you know, weren't he? Getting everybody into lockdown, especially the second time. Um, lots of people have well a million people have lost their lives haven't they I don't know I'll probably punch him in the face <laughs> that's more like it that's what I was expecting <laughs> you're acting yeah. like round here yeah I'll probably punch him in the face really knock him for six <laughs> um, do you know what I mean and I think probably a lot of people would wouldn't they yeah, I think that's what my mum would say. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just game of bloody nose. <laughs> <laughs> so our next guest is Georgie, and rather than try and explain who you are, mate, we'll let you do it. So, what's your name? Where you come from? Just like on blind date, what's your background? <laughs> what's your sitch in COVID, mate? Um, my name is Georgie Stanway. I'm 35, and up until the end of last year, I was the co-owner, manager, and the chef of a pizzeria located in Stoke. Um, my COVID experience has been a weird one. I think for the same of everyone. I think it's actually hard to say if you've had a good time or a positive time because it's all perspective, really. Like. I've got a sister who's a social worker, so she's been flat out um, and, you know, kind of like, oh, you've had loads of time off. It's like, it's not great to be furloughed either, or it's not great to be unemployed. It's not great to be sitting on your backside with no purpose. So I'd say my COVID experience has been up and down. Yeah. Kind of really, I wouldn't say the final nail in the coffin for for the restaurant because we'd actually already made the decision to wind down in some way shape or form 
um, just because it had been a long five years. Um, our two business partners were in different positions than what they were five years ago. One of them lives in another country now. The other one's got his own career that he's really busy with. I've now gathered up two stepchildren um, and I've got a house and a dog and a cat and everything. So my domestic situation, I guess, is very different. Um, I, I work at least 60 hours a week. Uh, my record was 93 hours in one week. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you bloody mad you have to though, mate. Like you know what it's like. You've had your own business. Obviously, people who've listened to the podcast for a, for a long time will know that. And you have no choice, um, especially with food. Like restaurant or, or catering, hospitality is is such a different ball game. Um, you know, someone orders something on a website. You've got a couple hours to get it sorted, or maybe even a day or so, or whatever, to get everything. When it's food, the customer is right in front of you and they want that within 15 minutes at the most, really. And they're looking at you the entire time. So it's like a very <laughs> immediate response. Like you're very aware of like the level of service you have to give. Like you've, you've just got to be on it, on, on your toes nonstop. Um, and I think people are obviously more inclined to leave positive and negative reviews regarding food on social media than they are, say, retail. Like, if you walk into Primark or Topshop or wherever, you don't really go on TripAdvisor after and say that you were waiting five minutes out of outside of a changing room or something. But within food, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty ruthless. So, I mean, the start of COVID was actually harder than being on furlough because as it was coming and people were like, anticipating what was going to happen the shops were just getting depleted of all kinds of stuff like the cash and carries and, and everything because anyone who's got a cash and carry card which like a lot of people have would go in there instead of going to the supermarkets and rinsing it it's like you couldn't you couldn't get anything and obviously we're we were a pizzeria so trying to get hold of yeast and flour mate at the beginning of March was an absolute nightmare because everyone anticipated they were going to turn into fucking Paul Hollywood over the next six months <laughs> like honestly it like it was ridiculous it's like mate you're going to get this yeast right and you're probably going to use it once and then you're just going to go to Tesco and buy what you've always bought like I need it <laughs> um yeah it was, it was getting impossible it was taking me up to like two hours every day just to try and get like a basic menu together it was it was insane and then obviously not knowing um waiting to hear about grants waiting to hear about furlough you've got staff asking you questions that are trying to pay their own bills and like you're very aware of that you've got your own bills to pay like personally and business wise and it's just like we were just still are really being just drip fed information constantly so it's like you don't know if you can pay people for the end of next month. And then they're saying like, oh, grants are becoming available. Go onto the government website. You go onto the government website and there's nothing there. There's no application form. There's no nothing. There's no phone number. You know, and it's just like it was so, so stressful um, just to try and get everything together. And obviously, like I said, one of my other business partner lives in another country. So he's online trying to find stuff out about that country that he doesn't even live in anymore. Um, yeah, it. it it was a nightmare. The last day we traded before the lockdown was the 21st of March. 
Um, yeah, Andy, Andy, the other business partner, lives in Switzerland. He's still over there now. So he's trying to help out living from another country. Kenny is a financial director and accountant for a massive, massive company. So he's got loads of stuff going on at work. I'm trying to sort everything out on the ground. We've got nine staff members, one of which is my partner. So our household income all comes off one place. So it was mad stressful. Like I kind of can't really remember much of it. It was it was all of a bit of a blur to be honest. And then once once we finally got information about failure, once we finally got information about the grants, it was just such a relief. I'm like I'm not even gonna lie. Like once I knew that everyone I employed could pay their own bills and we could pay the rent, I really enjoyed the first month, couple of months of lockdown. Like really enjoyed it, and like, <laughs> I feel bad in a way for saying that. Like my best mate's a nurse. She's absolutely knackered. My sister's a social worker. She's absolutely shattered. Loads of other people have lost their jobs. I've got loads of mates who are self-employed, tattooists and whatnot, who are, like, stressing out to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I'd gone from, like I said earlier, working, like, at least 60 hours a week. That's, like, 13-hour days, pretty much, Tuesday to Saturday. Um, so the only day I'd had a full day off I'd have is Sunday, which is when I saw the kids and they're like trying out my other half, do stuff around the house. I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm knackered, my knees are hurting. Um, I'm doing that for five years and then coming from being able to like have tea with the kids and like do loads of jobs around the house and sort the garden out and walk the dog and just be like a normal functioning like human being was just like it, it it was really nice and obviously the weather was wicked and tried to just enjoy it and not feel too guilty about other people having like such a difficult time with it and do what we can and donate and buy things off off people that were were doing creative things to stay afloat and and that kind of stuff um yeah and just and just be grateful for for what i had really and then when did eat out and then oh then we reopened and we did eat out to help out, which I refused to take part in because I think the whole thing was an absolute joke. Um, so we didn't do it. We were open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and I just really didn't agree with the scheme at all. I couldn't understand their intentions, but it wasn't safe to do that. I think everyone can agree now that you can't go from that to then cramming people in tiny spaces and encourage everyone to go out like three days a week. Like, Everywhere was rammed. It was it was absolutely insane. Um, I just didn't didn't understand it, so we didn't take part in it. Um, and then we had to close again on the other lockdown. And then we reopened for takeaway, which is then obviously difficult to do because you're going from a building that's got forty five covers plus takeout to just takeout, relying on third party. Um, companies like delivery and just eat and whatever else who take 30 percent so you're already having a nightmare trying to like make sure you're covering overheads and that kind of stuff and luckily for us one of the business partners like i said kenny is he's an accountant but he's a really experienced accountant so we make decisions based on numbers if numbers don't work and it doesn't serve the business well to do so and we're not actually going to make a profit, which keeps people in jobs, which keeps the bills being paid, then we don't do it because it doesn't take long for you to get into trouble. 
um, and things like that can add up pretty quickly. And it also, you've got to look at like, is it worth the stress and is it worth the time and effort that you're going to four or five different places to get items that you used to be able to get from one place because you've got stock issues relating to COVID, stock issues relating to Brexit. And yeah, you've just got to look at whether, it, whether it's worth it. Like when people ask me why I'm not doing what I'm doing anymore, is you've got to look at if the juice is worth the squeeze and it won't worth the squeeze anymore for me. That, that's basically what it comes down to for me is, is weighing up the time, effort, energy, and all the things that you sacrifice to what you get back from it. Like, don't get me wrong, I miss it loads. Like, I really, really do miss it. But you can't pay your mortgage with people telling you that's the best pizza they've ever eaten. I love it and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know what I mean? It, it don't buy me a new car because mine failed its MOT, you know? Um, and I think when I when I weigh up how much I've how much I've given up or how much it's like physically and mentally drained me for a length of time, I'm starting to like not enjoy it. And for me, if you don't enjoy it, just don't bother doing it. Obviously, everyone has their ups and downs, and you have a pretty crappy day at work and stuff like that. But it's just not worth it. Like that miserable about you spend more time at work than you do doing anything else. If you genuinely hate it. It's not always possible, but try and get yourself out of that situation. Mate, it must have been pretty mad for you, like, because, you know, we've known each other a long time. You're a grafter. And as you've said, you know, you went even to the point of having your own business, of which you then, like, mega graft, basically, just because you have to. Like, having that period where you weren't able to go into work and, like you said, you were making the most of it, I bet that were pretty interesting to you, wasn't it? Because, like, things like sitting down and having tea with family and and actually having a bit of freedom and not having your knees feel knackered and whatever. Like, that must have been pretty um, eye-opening, I guess, because you've, you've, well, you won't have ever had that, will you, in your whole working life? No, never, never. I mean, I've had a job since I was 10 years old. Of course uh, you have, of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to work Saturday days with my stepdad, washing, washing his company vans. And I've worked there on and off for him. Um, for years like god I did, I did some work for him uh not too long ago um like he'll always chuck us work and stuff because he knows I'll, I'll just get on with it I'm, I'm not bothered and I'll do any job I'll clean loose I'll pick I'll I, I'm not bothered you know you do what you got to do just get on and do it um and these last five years made it really really hard to relax and have any downtime because I could not switch my brain off so say for my birthday I think I sat in my dressing gown and I watched NFL until like three o'clock in the afternoon and everyone else in the house was like it's the longest that I've seen you like sit around for in the day because I just don't do it I'll go and find something to do I'll be doing the garden I'll fix something on my car I'll like I'll be doing something and I won't sit down until like nine ten o'clock at night because I'm just not used to doing it it's like you can't switch off. It's like you're so conscious of what needs paying, what needs doing, what you can do next month, what can I do to get ahead. This could be better, that could be better, this needs sorting out. So it's like to lie there all day and watch, I don't know, whatever, Harry Potter from like start to finish or 
watch two films on like a Saturday daytime afternoon just because you can and you've got a day off. My brain will not let me do that anymore. So like I think the by the end of the week when we started furlough, this is dead sad. This is this is going to re- reveal how much of a geek I am. I made a nine-page Excel spreadsheet of jobs that I needed to do around the house. Oh, Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> One for each roommate. Of all the jobs that I've been needing to do for ages. And yeah, like, that's what I spent lockdown doing, is just doing loads of things that I'd, I hadn't got time to do and, and that kind of stuff. It's about keeping your brain busy exactly. as well, isn't it? Like, I remember Selena, like... <laughs> When me and Georgie first met, when we were, what, like, 19, something like that? Um, uh, yeah, I was, tw- I was I was, just a bit older than you. I, yeah, I was 20. Yeah, and you were the first person I heard that ever used the phrase, we didn't have a pot to piss in. So you're, like, <laughs> the, the person that introduced me to that phrase. And, um... Yeah, you know, I know you to be a true grafter and it's interesting to hear you say that stuff because, yeah, when you're so used to doing that, you get that guilt, don't you? Like, especially if you're brought up around other grafters, you get that guilt if you sat off. Um, so, yeah, that that's interesting, that. Selena, did you have any questions? No, I think I was just going to say, it is weird, isn't it, when you... Like, I don't do mad hours like you, but it is weird when you kind of, all of a sudden, are, like, forced to stop it's kind of like part of you is like, this is good because I, I can just do things. But then also I'm, I find it very hard to just do nothing and relax. So it was this weird balance of like, like you said, I think in the first lockdown, because the weather was good, that kind of helped me. That f- helped me, forced me to stop. But it is, it's a hard one. And I think I was also thinking about how I always say, because I work in retail, I always say that I f- like hospitality especially anything like to do with food I'd, I'd find very difficult even though I've worked in retail for like however many years because people just expect more and want more and I just feel like I can't even imagine what this year has been like working in that kind of atmosphere place or atmosphere when people like I don't even know if people have you know this whole like be kind of everything I just feel like it's it intensifies what is normal and I feel like anyone that's done that during this past year then hats off to you yeah and I mean like there's other people who where where I'm where I have the places is a little place in Hanley and Stoke-on-Trent I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure in, in visiting our little fair, fair town but it's a bit it's becoming a bit of an independent up-and-coming area so there is I think there's like nine independent places where you can get food and drink on there so like it's it's wicked um and the level of like effort and ideas and going above and beyond to try and that people are about to do to try and stay afloat is like insane because everyone's different. So, for example, not everyone would have been would have been taking furlough because they might not have been on the books. It might be their place, but they've actually got another job and they just come and do things like after hours and, you know, kind of like work on the running of the place. And it's like you just get left behind. Like, and I don't understand how there's no responsibility being taken for these people. And it's like, oh, it's all right that you can go and get universal credit. And it's like, well, that person might be only eligible for job seekers, which isn't going to go that far. And it's like, I don't, I can't understand it because it's a Tory government and I hate them. But 
it's just been completely disproportionate. The whole thing from start to finish is an absolute joke. And I've ended up deleting most of my social media. I don't follow any new sites whatsoever. I don't engage with people that I don't really know anymore on the internet and discuss it because um, I can't be doing with it. I've had that many arguments and rows and sitting there at 10 o'clock at night seething because I've had a row with someone on Twitter or Facebook at 6 o'clock that afternoon. And I just, I've had to just take myself out of it. Like, I've just had to just not look at it. I just don't engage with it anymore because I'm just too pissed off about it, basically. I started reading the budget the other day and I got about 10 minutes into it and just bend it off. I'm not even going to bother anymore. <laughs> well, like... On uh, on that note, our final question for you is: There's a knock at the door, G. You open door. It's Boris. What are you saying to Boris? Come in. I want to fucking talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? Is is there hope to follow um, that? Oh yeah, it's like there'd be a massive, massive amount to follow after that. But as anyone knows, like. It's not just him, is it? Do you know what I mean? It's rarely the person that is the face who's actually responsible for making these decisions. And this whole thing of him being like a bit of a buffoon and with his hair not combed and he's always unkempt and stuff like that. It's just a it's just a strategy. Like it really is. It's the same thing with George Bush about George Bush kind of being like a doe-eyed moron, basically. It's the same kind of thing. Like he's not an idiot. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not a lovable buffoon. He's an absolute narcissist. Like, yeah, there'd be a lengthy conversation to follow, but it probably wouldn't be a bad if it was like someone like Pretty Patel. Now I hate her, like proper <laughs> hate her. <laughs> so, yeah, I probably wouldn't invite her, and I'd probably just deck her on the doorstep. <laughs> so we're back again with the third guest of tonight we're spoiling you with yet another iconic legend um so we'll not explain who this person is we'll let them do it themselves so faith welcome to poor lass hi uh oh iconic legend well yeah that's a lot to live up to isn't it <laughs> don't know how i'm gonna do that <laughs> so faith what's your what's your background and what's been your situation during covid so my background is um, from a working class family in the Midlands, representing the East Midlands Massive. Um, that sounds so awful when you say that, doesn't it? Um, I grew up in a family of four kids, mum and dad, um, scraping by in a in a great council estate in a really weirdly affluent village. So we were like the odd ones out. There was like two roads that had uh, council estates on in this entire village. So we were very much felt um, othered by that in that school. Um, but, you know, you sort of group together as a family and sort of get on with it and work your way um, through the weird minefield that is dealing with friends and peers that are obviously from just a completely different world to you. So that was always quite interesting. But um, I went to college in the East Midlands, moved up to Leeds when I was in my early 20s and I'm still here so you know it's a great place um I do have a disability um which will be 
I guess a big part of what I'm talking about today um being a disabled person during the pandemic I guess being a working class person a working class woman and then a disabled working class woman gives you like a little bit of a different point of view I think at the moment um I think a lot of people in my situation are feeling a little bit I guess like left behind from the considerations that have been given to people in the pandemic there's obviously been a massively disproportionate impact on working class people especially women for the last what is it like year and a year and a month but I think for disabled people especially there's the the fear that comes with that of um, the health impact Um, so for me I've been shielding because of my condition so that basically means you stay inside I'm allowed to go out now for a walk, <laughs> well, a wheelchair ride. You know, there's no contact, no going into shops, just really not doing anything that I normally would. And that kind of cuts you off from, I think, most things that you would normally experience or normally rely on at a time like this. And then also the impact that there's been on the financial side of things with that as well. So sort of the worry about money, because when you can't go out, like to the shops you've then got to rely on delivery services which are all like a lot more expensive you can't buzz around Aldi trying to find the best deals I've actually been shopping and you're gonna love this I've been shopping in Waitrose online <laughs> which is so bougie because they do free delivery over 40 quid but just just the uh, the marked difference between like you know doing your shop in the normal supermarket and then having to rely on someone in a supermarket picking your orders for you and that shock I'm sure everyone feels this when you get your bill when they deliver it and they've substituted like half of your order for things that are like everything's like a quid more so and then you've all of a sudden gone up from spending 40 quid to 70 just like how did that happen a big thing for me at the moment is like health worry I guess I'm not alone in that Um, but I live with someone who has worked throughout the whole pandemic in a I guess it's called a frontline role but I mean the reality is he's based in a warehouse he works in uh, in a brewery um, so he's surrounded by loads of people. It's quite a high risk environment because you've got different um, people from different companies coming in and out all the time. I'd love to say that people, senior people at work were taking it seriously, but I don't think they've took it seriously enough. So there's been a bit of a fight there from his perspective to say, look, I live with someone who's shielding. <clears throat> I've got to make sure we're as safe as we can be. Obviously, you know, the response being, well, you can always go on furlough, but the reality is, like a lot of people can't afford to, like to lose 20% of your income um, can mean just about scraping by to not being able to pay the bills. And I think that's something I've heard a lot of from other people. So I've got friends that I know of that have said they know people or them themselves have not been able to take time off for self-isolating with symptoms because they won't get paid and they can't afford to and I know now there's this supposed government funding for people that are having to do that but it's like who's that who's really eligible for it I don't think everyone is and not withstanding that there's also like I was talking about the lack of support for maybe like shielders and disabled people I'll talk to you about the food parcels I'll let you ask me about that um because you'll love that the food parcels from the council so if you thought the things that the these kids are we're getting from their school pack ups. You remember that row a couple of weeks ago? Oh yes. Um, if you thought that was bad, oh mate, you you haven't seen anything compared to these boxes that the council were giving shielders. <laughs> they were they were a crack. <clears throat> so yeah, I'll um I'll go into that in a bit. But yeah, it's just been a bit of a well, I'm sure everyone's saying this, but it's been a rough time, hasn't it? It's been worrying and 
isolating and just yeah a bit naff overall but the light is at the end of the tunnel I'm hoping <laughs> well Tell me I'm hoping things are a bit better mate on that one when you said you know about being long-term shielding and um being left behind I think one of the things that that I wanted to ask you about is you know we know as working class people and then you know working class women and as you said then you've got disability on on top of that and people's attitudes towards it you know the sort of um conversations that were happening um well to be fair throughout but a lot in the early days of people saying oh well it's just like flu and it's not going to impact me you know it's just going to be like a small segment of people who've got these existing conditions like how did it feel uh you know having people talk about you in that way i would like to just stay frustrated but the reality is it made me it pissed me off more than I think you could imagine it just felt very and I'm sure like every kind of marginalized group in society has had these these feelings at some point where you just feel like you want to scream at people and go we are people we exist like we've got a right to be considered here and it's like oh no just shove them shove them away in a cupboard for a few months the rest of us will be fine but just lock them away safely at home like that's you know like that's okay to do it's just yeah the thought of being basically forgotten about and you know, I am really fortunate that I've got some really good friends and family and, you know, have people that I've kept in contact with throughout. But I feel like if I was one of these, you know, one of these people that I know of that have been on their own and shielding, I just, I genuinely don't know how I would have coped. Like, when I, I mean, like, properly alone, like, you know, maybe they're a bit older or they just don't have the social network, whatever it might be. It just, I can imagine, like, you know, it would be just crushing to hear people saying things like that and just feel like you're not worth considering or not worth people's time it's I mean it's terrible really and say that it's not it's not a good thing what I wanted to ask is kind of like the flip side of that in the sense that I feel like this year in particular I feel like working class people people of colour particularly black people and disabled people have been spoken about a lot but spoken on their behalf and I think the reason like we started call us is because we wanted to speak like ourselves not but have you have you found that a lot or is it like you know that people are you know people even trying to do good or say good things but a lot of people are speaking about you for you and not ask actually asking what you want or what you need I I did feel kind of similar feelings but I felt like it, it wasn't as it wasn't as marked I think with disabled people this last year I think, I guess maybe it's, that's just to do with like literal, like news headlines and stuff that's been a bit of a catalyst for that, hasn't it? Like people feeling like they want to sort of give the two penneth, but instead of giving someone a platform, speaking, you know, like you say, speaking on their behalf or, you know, sometimes trying to do good things, like you say, but not just really not getting it right, bless them. You're like, oh, you're trying, but maybe just ask someone what they yeah, really like. like yeah (laughs) so mate what about um you know during this time where you know you were effectively told you need to stay in because you know this is a big risk to your health but at the same time you still need to access you know healthcare and support so regular sessions that you need to attend appointments like how do you i don't know how how do you reconcile that you know that you need that support you need that care out in the world but also the world is giving you mixed messages about the the level of risk out there at the same time oh i know I th- and i think I, I mentioned this to you when, when we were chatting last week didn't i um 
basically it's like it's like a tug of war in it you sort of I need to go to see the doctor I need to go to this hospital appointment I need to go to pain clinic whatever it might be but then on the other hand you, you, you you've got people going you'll die if you go out there man it's crazy you'll die <laughs> and it's just like how do you how do you deal with that and I think for me personally the upshot has been I've cancelled so many appointments I've just I've just not attended them and I know that's had an adverse effect on my condition and my pain levels and you know lots of things really things have deteriorated when they sh- there was no need for them to I think if I had felt it was safe and it wasn't even just the fear of something happening that stopped me attending it was like the literal logistics of it sometimes so obviously can't get on a bus because if you I mean you probably know but if you're a wheelchair user on the bus you're sort of shoved right at the front of it people walk past you you, there's just no escape (laughs) from like the barrage of people so there's just like you know if you're if you stood up or you sat down at least you can sort of whip out of someone's way but if you're in a wheelchair and you're in that place you kind of you are literally stuck there and it it's intimidating at the best of times that sometimes but when you've got people maybe not wearing a mask properly you know there's idiots with a nose hanging out and or not at all it's just it's it's hard to get around it so if you can't use public transport you either have to be very fortunate in the position of having your own vehicle which to be fair hands up I do I'm so lucky that I have that um but even when you get somewhere like a hospital they've not considered shielders which is I'm saying this and I'm like how can this be a hospital hasn't considered shielders like that's mad right but yeah like I was in hospital the end of last year and I was put on basically a ward that had you know, regular patients and then there was also some people who were suspected COVID and we weren't told this at the time I was only told like as I was leaving the ward after like three days on there and uh and that shocked me I was like so you're putting people at risk and not even communicating that risk to them so that put me off going for a further you know outpatient appointment I was like I'm just not dealing with that I don't want to put myself in that position you know pre-vaccination at least so yeah and I think I can't be alone in that situation I think I cannot be alone in missing appointments that I really should have gone to I mean I was reading that you know that obviously like I say women have been disproportionately affected and I think people are missing things like important um, medical care with like pregnancy um, important like you know breast scans things like that that and cervical scans um, cervical smears and all these appointments that we should be attending a lot of people aren't and um I think we're probably going to see the fallout from that in the next if well we're already starting to aren't we but we'll probably see more of that in the next six to twelve months and that's quite that's scary in itself isn't it you've had your first jab now right yes I have very exciting got my uh got my little card and everything (laughs) legit so how does that make you feel like are you getting a bit more optimistic or like did that kind of create a shift in your brain at all like how how do you feel about the world kind of coming out of this but there's still being quite a bit of uncertainty I think I mean I honestly genuinely cried with relief the day I had my first vaccine like just the thought that there was a change on the horizon hopefully and I had the AstraZeneca one which was you know I was a bit poorly for like a week afterwards, but I just, like I said to everybody, it's so worth it. No matter how ill I felt afterwards, I'm like, it doesn't matter because if that stops me from getting so ill, I'm in hospital with COVID. If I get it, then it's worth it, innit? 
so optimistic when I first had it. I think for the first, I guess, like four or five weeks, I've been feeling like, yeah, it's um, it's going to be it's going to be better. I'll have my second job. I'll feel like fully protected. And then obviously the news about these new variants came out. So you were just hearing people going, oh, well, you know, the vaccines we've got will probably protect us. And then the reality of the news that's been cycling out of that being, well, the reality is we don't know or we don't know how much. And and it kind of it's just deflated me a little bit. <laughs> I think I've gone from feeling like I could, you know, I'm, I'm still supposed to be shielding, and this is the advice they've given. So if you're shielding, you have the the vaccine, stay shielding until you're told otherwise. But I have been out for a little toddle around a local village. Uh, um, well, looking at um, you know, been to visit a bit of artwork at Farsley, as you might know, and uh, and it's been it was so nice to be able to do that. But in the back of my mind, I still have this little worry um, about making plans, and I can see all these people around me making summer holiday plans and getting together with people like on the horizon. And I just think, am I okay to do that yet? And it's just eating away at my brain a little bit. And I think part of that is just that fear of the unknown. And I think that's, you know, some of it is to do with the way shielders have been dealt with during the pandemic by the government, like basically ignored for a lot of it. The shielding advice has not been forthcoming. It's always been an afterthought. So I think that's sort of given me pause to thought about that. Um, but also I think my fear is be, uh, of being poorly anyway as a disabled person that's had a lot of illnesses and hospital trips because of the condition I feel like I've always got that in my brain like oh no what if I have to go in again what if this happens and it's kind of the combination of the two it's quite um quite explosive really. Selena did you have any other questions? Um I just wanted to know what was actually in this uh this council food parcel oh yeah we need to know (laughs) (laughs) oh man so when you signed up for the shielding list um or are put on the shielding list back when this first happened the council like automatically sent food parcels so uh, this wasn't across the country this was so it depended where you lived on what you got surprise surprise (laughs) not never happens does it um so in leeds it seemed that we just got them and I was like, I actually don't need this. I'm quite, I'm really lucky. I've managed to get, you know, supermarket slots. So I'm all right. Thank God, because when I opened it, it had, um, there were some white sliced bread, which was actually all right. So that's, that's a positive. And get this, a massive pack of branded McVitie's digestives. So I was like, jackpot. Okay, that's great. A cup of tea and some biscuits. But the food that was supposed to last um, a shielder for a week was three mold and i'm not kidding moldy uh satsumas like real skanky ones <laughs> they were really bad uh a dented tin of beans <laughs> um uh oh yeah one uht milk there was some catering like in you know individual sachets of coffee you get like in a hotel like there's little like sticks of like <laughs> cafe. but not even nescafe or like you know off brand like <laughs> Um, and there were no sugar though that's what made me laugh I was like so they've given you giving you this uh, tea like a couple of tea bags as well Luz giving you tea and coffee no sugar bloody hell and that's pretty much it so it was like some beans although I think there was supposed to be a potato to do like a jacket potato but it was like a tiny potato you know the sort of one like a you new wouldn't potato. even consider baking <laughs> yeah like, like, a, like an oversized new potato a yeah. singular <laughs> um, new potato <laughs> 
Oh, it was so bad. And what else was there in this? Um, oh, actually, in the second box I received, there was some tuna. Um, I mean, bad luck to anyone who's a vegetarian. They didn't even ask. But that's it. I mean, I, I shouldn't. The thing is, I feel like we are so lucky to have provision that someone's going to send you stuff. But it shouldn't be so insulting that like you're laughing about it and thinking there's no way someone could survive on that. Because the reality is, though, like the sad reality is, someone, lots of people probably did have to survive on that. And that's, you know, it's frightening, isn't it? And the thing is, a lot of people, were, um, when I saw the, the school dinners kick off, um, it made me think, oh, you know, it just harked back to that box I got. And I was like, nobody mentioned the shielders. Like when this happened, no one said anything. And it, I just I didn't have the energy to do it at the time, but I thought it's interesting how some things are deemed worth kicking up about, um, and other things just kind of get left under the radar and never mentioned. And I was like, and I know it wasn't the only experience someone had of that. Like I've got a friend who lives in a different, um, like a different part of the country altogether, and she had something even worse. It was terrible. <laughs> so it was just like a bit of a. I don't know, a bit of a running joke here that, like, it was just rubbish. I mean, the thing is, the stuff that was salvageable, like the beans, I mean, that was kind of it, really. The, the beans and UHT milk, we got to a local food bank, so at least someone got something out of it, but you couldn't have lived off that, no matter with the with the biggest will in the world. <laughs> there was just no hope. So, well, yeah, funny, but also sad. The I guess, to your point there as well, like, the thing with the Marcus Rashford... Um, well, kind of announcement, really, when he just was like, I'm not having this, and then everybody started listening, is this isn't new, right? There's People have been living off absolute pittance for time, and people just don't talk about it because you just become so apathetic, so fed up. You've got no energy to even argue about it. Like you said, some people, that's the reality. They're just having to live off it. And, you know, what Marcus Rashford did, our Lord, our God, by the way, absolute ledge, pretty much. (laughs) Love it. Pretty much Love just sal- saluting the man on every single episode. Um, is he just shone light on it, right? And like you say, if it's a a question of, you know, who are people going to feel most sorry for? That's what it kind of comes to, isn't it? It's like people have been trying to yeah. talk about this stuff for ages, but you just kind of ignore it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, these kids are not getting any food and we're all in lockdown. And actually people are seeing things a little bit more for what they are. But yeah, it still shows you the kind of disproportionate level of empathy towards different types of people. And I think, you know, definitely within lockdown, the levels of empathy towards people who had, you know, any kind of additional needs or dependencies on services and things like that, you know, there was a severe lack of empathy and a lot of um, a lot of bad comments. And, you know, it really, really did expose people for that, you know. Oh, didn't it? It really did. And I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head there when you say lack of empathy. I think there was some sympathy going around, but I mean, as with all sympathy, it's kind of, I don't know, pointless. <laughs> it doesn't really move anything on, does it? It doesn't progress anything forward. But yeah, the lack of empathy, the lack of understanding that people were in that situation and, like, and, and the lack of um, activism. And that's the thing that these people are so exhausted and beaten down by the time they realise something needs to be done. It's like, who's got the energy to do it? Who's going to, like, pick up the torch and run with it? Like, I don't know. I wish I'd, I do wish that I've done, I should have done more this year. I do think I could have used my voice a bit better. But I guess everyone always feels like that with everything at some point, don't they? Like, there's only so much everyone can do. Tiring, yeah. 
I think I might. I think you've made a slogan there. They're like less sympathy, more empathy. Hundred percent. Yeah. Nice. It up. But I don't want your tears. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> no tears. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> T-shirts at the ready. I've got a question for you, Faith. And mm-hmm. your phone's ringing, and you pick it up, and it's Boris Johnson, and he says, <laughs> "Hello, Faith. Just wondering." Uh, if you could tell me about your experiences. Do, do you think I did a good job? Did you think the government has seen you right? What are your thoughts? There are not enough beeps out there to cover the expletives that would come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly wish, right, if, he, if I got that phone call, I wish I could have something constructive to say to that man. But the reality is they've just put so many people at risk so many times. I mean... This is not going to come as a shock to anybody. I'm staunchly Labour. I am not a Tory fan. <laughs> Surprise. Um, so I've got an issue with them anyway. But, I mean, I just feel like they've exposed themselves to be absolutely anti-people, haven't they? You know? Like, they've just not listened to the, to the scientific evidence. They've not um, given sound reasoning. It's been profits over people time and time again, helping out mates in high places. And I just feel like... My first word to him would be fuck and my second word would be off and then it would just be a barrage of you've done this wrong, you've done that wrong <laughs> over and over again. Which I feel terrible about saying, but someone you know, you've got to you sometimes you've just gotta speak the truth, haven't you? So our fourth and final guest for tonight is Maria. So off you go, tell us all about yourself. Like ever so I'm Maria. Um I live in Doncaster, but I'm originally from South Wales. I moved here sort of 10 years ago, and I can't quite shake my accent off, although when I go home, they tell me I'm northern. Um, <laughs> so it's it's still there for everyone here, but back home, apparently not so much. Um, so I'm a lawyer, Monday to Friday, 9 till 5, and I've worked from home from day one of the pandemic, or as I now like to call it, the Panny D. Um, <laughs> I never thought... I'd be a person that would be rocking this home office vibe. Like, I never thought I'd get into it. I was like, it's just not for me. It's not what I do. And now I love it. I just want to decorate my entire house like a home office. It's the best thing ever. But the whole (laughs) lockdown, (laughs) the whole lockdown sort of experience has been quite weird for me. I've been really lucky in that I've been able to work from home all the way through. I've had work to distract me and occupy me and, other than changing where I work, my day-to-day working life hasn't really changed that much. So I've been really, really lucky with that. Um, I'm obviously not a frontline worker or an essential worker. Those people are phenomenal because they've saved our bums all the way through this and just kept us going and kept us fed and kept us alive and done whatever we need to. But it's been really, really strange, I think, for people like me who've just... I went to work on Monday, I came home, I watched Boris do his thing, and then on Wednesday, I carried on working, but in a different place. And it's it's almost been like we're, I felt like part of a forgotten group. It's really weird because the news is all about people who've been furloughed or essential workers or frontline workers. And don't get me wrong, people at either end of the spectrum have had an horrific time. But it, it's like these all these people in the middle who've just carried on are like, yeah, we're still here. We're still doing our thing. We're still like keeping everything going and doing stuff we're still here and it's been really hard for us as well um but it's weird because I 
essentially have carried on my normal life. I've worked Monday to Friday, nine till half past five, trying to use holidays where my only holiday is moving from one room to another. Um, I got to watch people in the sun while I worked in the spare bedroom. I've got to watch people in the snow while I worked in the spare bedroom. And it's just a really weird experience. And I think even at times I felt like I almost missed out on the lockdown experience in that I didn't get to enjoy the sunny summer lockdown where everyone got a lovely tan from lying in the garden. And I didn't get to build a snowman in the wintry, snowy lockdown experience. I did no baking. I've watched a lot of Netflix, but not all the Netflix. And I did no PE with Joe Wicks. And <laughs> it's just, it's a right weird experience. Like it's, like I say, I feel like I'm so fortunate that I've been able to carry on working and I've been able to carry on my normal working life for all intents and purposes. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know how bad lockdown's been because I've just carried on. I am not to sit there for 12 hours a day doing nothing or with nothing to occupy my time. Um, and then I got to a point after Christmas time where I suddenly had this realisation that I was not seeing anyone outside of my house. And it suddenly sort of dawned on me that the only people I then was seeing were people who lived within like a one mile radius of my house. And I was like, I, I need to see some other people. <laughs> so at that point, then I became a vaccine volunteer. And I'd, unfortunately, I don't get to do the jabbing with the needle, which kind of makes me sad at times. Is that what but you were gunning for? You were like, oh, come on, give that I, needle. Give me that training. Come on, I could do this. But no, sadly, I'm not allowed to do that. Apparently, you've got to have a qualification. Um, but I just go on a marshal at vaccine centres. So when they've set up, I think there's five in Donny altogether. Um, and I just go along for normally about six hours on a Saturday. And I help ferry people about the vaccine centre basically so I'm either stood on the door greeting people checking they haven't got no symptoms and that they've got appointments um, or I've been wiping chairs down after people have sat on them when they've had to be observed after the vaccine or I'm standing on the door of where the vaccine stations are and directing people which station they need to go to next and doing all those sorts of things and I love it it's the first one I did was the absolute best one I did and I've enjoyed everyone since, but the first one was my absolute fave because it was all people who were like over 80, over 85, and they were so much fun to be around. They were just so like happy to see someone and happy to have a chat with you and really excited that they were getting this vaccine that were going to mean they could go back to bingo or, as one lady told me, it was going to get her back on a plane on holiday. And they were just really grateful. And... That's one thing I've really noticed is, for the most part, people are so grateful that they're getting this vaccine and that they're doing stuff and they can go out and they've been able to see someone different. And it's just been a mint experience doing it. And I, I'm going to carry on doing it as long as I can. I can just keep doing whatever they need me to do, really, whether it's wiping seats after people have sat on them or making cups of tea or chucking rubbish out or whatever they need me to do. Because it, it just made me feel like I was doing something and doing something to help get us away from this situation and get us back to a bit of normality. What's interesting to me is, like, how how did it feel for being, like, someone who was inside all the time? Like, because, you know, it's a similar thing for me, right? I have no idea what's happening outside. I've got no real connection with the outside world. You know, I can go five days and I don't go outside. 
And how how did it feel, Maria, going from that to not only being outside, but around high-risk group people, you know, in a room with lots of different people? Was that quite strange, like scary? Or When I finished the first, like, shift I did, I was buzzing. I've never been, like, you know, you get, like, nervous adrenaline and you can't stop talking. I felt like that. And, it like, I think the first clinic I did, they vaccinated something like 200 people or around that number. And so I seen at least 200 people that day. And after seeing at the most like half a dozen for the last six months, it was mental. It was just like, oh, my God, there's all these people and I can chat to people and I've seen different people. And it was really exciting. I loved it. It was just so like rewarding in personal ways as well in like a different way to not just helping to do it but for me I was like I love that I've come and done this and it's so like great to see all these different people from different backgrounds and doing different things and yeah it was just great and like I was one every week I'm like one of four volunteers and I was just excited that first week because I got to meet someone who were like a social worker or there was someone who worked in HR or there was someone who was retired and they'd all had like completely different experiences of lockdown to what I had as well. So that were really nice to talk to them and find like the different, like some had obviously worked all the way through and then others had been retired. So they had nothing out. It was like their normal life, but confined. So it was just like, I really enjoyed it. It was a strange, but really exciting experience. Although I did get in after my first session and you swear I had just been in some sort of biohazard crime scene because I came through the door and like stripped and I was like I've got to get the clothes off I've been around so many people I've done this and I've done that and I've got to um right I need to wash my clothes I need to have a shower and I was just like this is ridiculous I'm I'm going crazy like I need as if like I needed to burn my clothes after it because I'd been around (laughs) 200 people for the first time in ages well, I was thinking, because obviously you were saying, because you've been working from home, so you're not seeing anyone. I know my sister's been working from home. And like one thing, like one, well, a couple of things is the fact that she, she'll finish work and she'll just have to move to another room. And that's basically her life now. But also I think she misses like the social aspect of it. And I think because you were saying that that's what kind of the fact that you hadn't seen people and you'd realise is what kind of spurred you on to do the um, the vaccine volunteering. But do you think, like that was the main reason and now do you think it's like a different reason that you're doing it or it's I very much I'm like a bit like your sister I the what I missed from being at work and being in an office we weren't working in the office it was socializing with people and I started when we could sort of go back into the office at one point I was going in like part-time and doing like split week and I that one I even though there weren't many people there just to see people and I think with the vaccine thing that were definitely a thing I enjoyed about socialising but now it's it's still about that and it's still about meeting people and I've now sort of built a relationship with a couple of the people that I do it with where we're, we're like volunteer together if you like and we're, we're at the same clinics all the time but now I feel like I'm doing as well as getting the personal benefit of the social side of it and whatever I feel like I'm doing something I'm, I'm part of history now if you like I'm I can, in years to come, I can say to people, oh, well, when the pandemic happened, I helped with the vaccine rollout. And I want to be able to say, I'm quite proud to say that, like, I've done something in this that I've helped to push it on. And that's my sort of spur now is every time I see, like, 
the figures on the news saying, oh, this many people have had their vaccine today, when it's like a Saturday and I've been, I'm like, yep, yeah, I helped some people get that today. And I feel quite proud of it now. And I'm quite proud to be able to say I've helped get us out of this mess. No, I was going to say, even like, not even in terms of the fact that you're helping now in getting the vaccine rolled out, but as you were saying, like when you first did the first clinic, obviously that was like people who were like in the older age bracket. And even when I worked at a, a charity shop and there was customers that would come in every day and I, I knew that I was like the only person that they'd speak to that day. So to think that there's been like a lot of, of the older generation that have been shielding and at home alone and the fact that you're saying that they've come out and I don't know, I feel like that would, like you said, you were buzzing. I think I'd be like so buzzing to think that you've helped to get these people be able to like speak to somebody. It might be the first person they spoke to in like yeah. weeks and then be able to like carry on with their lives as they were before it, yeah, it's not really a question I'm just saying yeah I'd be buzzing too <laughs> it it were really like that first week at times I got quite like emotionally overwhelmed because we'd be like I was stood on the door doing greetings so I was like the first person they saw as they got inside and like the person they saw as they were leaving and the amount of people on the way out that were like oh thank you thank you so much for what you're doing um you know, thanks for doing this. Thanks for helping get. And people were like so grateful, and I kept getting quite emotional. And I, th- I kept thinking, I'm going to cry in a minute because I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just stood here telling you to go and join that queue and checking you're all right as you leave. I'm not. I'm not doing anything. I'm not giving you the injection. I've not created it. And it would. People were just so grateful that you were there helping them get it. And it took me. It, like I say, I were quite. I was buzzing when I came out of it. I was like, this is amazing. It's the best thing I've ever done. And I was chatting to the old birds about going to on holiday or to the bingo. And then the old guys were coming over and they were like, yeah, does this mean I can go to the pub now? Are we opening the pub down the road now? I was like, if we could, I'd be the first one there. I'd serve you. Like we can do. And it was just so nice to have a laugh and a chat with them. And like you said, some, some of them genuinely hadn't left the house for 12 months or six months or whatever it was at the time. And I was the first person they were seeing, other than whoever had been dropping their shopping off. So it was quite, I felt almost like it was a responsibility to be really like nice and cheery and be a smiling face as they came through the door, even though they couldn't see me smiling because I had to wear a mask. But <laughs> it was just like <laughs> such a, apparently they could tell I was smiling from my eyes, a lot of them said. <laughs> but yeah, it was quite like an overwhelming experience, especially that first clinic but yeah it's just been great well like you know if you think about it I know when you said you know I'm just stood at the door I didn't create the vaccine sort of thing well just that feeling of someone having compassion for you you know when you're so isolated and you know I am not an 80 year old you know and I'm able to go for walks and stuff but you know I live on my own and just the things that I miss the most is like someone just saying oh I'll just put kettle on or like someone making your tea for you. Yeah. Or do you know what I mean? Just like a little thing of feeling like someone cares, which is why it was such a big deal when people would just send stuff through the post or, you know, like not tell you and then you'd just get something through and it was super emotional. I think it does make you, I, I guess, yeah, very, very emotionally overwhelmed um, because you're so used to just not feeling anything or, you know, having that, having that just interaction with people where... It's just a nice thing when someone smiles at you. You're like, oh, that's another person and they're smiling at me or someone said hello to me in the street. 
those little things that we used to take for granted are now like a really big deal. So, you know, I can I can totally um I can totally understand that for sure. Even yeah, even being thirty four. <laughs> well, it's it's like I think it's brilliant through all this that like I've got a dog. He's a bit of a famous dog round here because he don't go for a walk. He don't like walking. Like many people know me just from the lady that tries to drag the greyhound down the street because he doesn't like to go for a walk. But walking the dog every day, the amount of people who like smile at you that you'd never have given a second glance to before or the amount of neighbours I've spoke to and like made a connection with through this. I've lived in this house for like nine years. I've never even like giving them a nod in the street and it's like hey how are you what you, you know you're right oh dog not walking again yeah you don't like to walk but and chatting to people and I think that's like a real positive to come out of all of this is like people's like humanity almost has come back a bit in that you'll chat to your neighbor and and I did love the clap for the NHS every week because I were like it was a big community thing and I was like that's like the old the old days of a community spirit and I loved that I loved going out and clapping for a couple of minutes on the doorstep and it just I just felt like it was a right nice thing and you started to say hello to other people down your street that were like clapping as well that you'd never even noticed were there before and I think that is something quite positive to come out of it is a lot more like community spirit again. Maria what what are the things that you're looking forward to um the most when this starts lifting so i mean you know i know that you've not got to see your family for a long time because they're far away in wales um but you know are there specific things that you think god i can't wait for that to happen i'm obviously quite excited about going to wales because when i go to wales it will be christmas again because all their christmas presents are still in my house wrapped up because we couldn't get to go and all my presents from them are down there but like doing just being able to like go up to the pub on a Friday night it's like it was just our routine that on a Friday night we'd all get together we'd go to the pub a couple of like it wouldn't be a massive night out or anything like that but it was just something we did so I'm looking forward to being able to do that and obviously we're quite big like sports fans in our house and we haven't been able to go to sport for like a year now so we're really looking forward to the possibility of actually being able to attend a sporting event because I've realized I hate watching sport on telly it's not for me. I'm very much a, a got to be in the atmosphere type of person to enjoy a lot of it. So it's just those sorts, just nothing massive. I'm not bothered about going on a massive holiday or like a massive fancy trip anyway. I just want to go to the pub on a Friday night. So Maria, the last question, and I'm asking this to, to everyone, is there's a knock at the door, you answer it and it's Boris. What are you saying to Boris? have an haircut Boris come on you can't expect people to take you seriously with that haircut so right we spoke to four people tonight and do you know what Selena like I I'm really glad we've done this because it's been dead nice to have real people come and tell us about their experiences and I think it's really clear that people have got like really different experiences like it's been interesting to hear people say that things were good as well as bad, you know? And they're, I don't know, the the types of things that people are sharing. I think it is hard, isn't it? Because you feel bad if anything is good, but then when things are bad, you're like, oh, I'm I'm sure it's not as bad as someone else. 
and that you know that classic working class thing as well isn't it like there's always someone worse off than me you know and just just getting on with it um i've so, really yeah. enjoyed listening to it all but and i know what you mean it's that thing as well i think because it's like a collective thing that every is affecting everyone obviously some like more than others and in different at different times it, it's hard to be like it's hard because everyone knows it's hard, but then also trying to find like in the good. It, it, yeah, it's it is it's, it is such a strange one, but I I have really enjoyed listening to everyone, and I don't know. It, it's made me feel a bit more hopeful. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just does. Yeah, because everyone's been really positive, and what I've liked is people talking about folks being grateful. Which how nice is that? So you know, in the situation of like my mum saying when you know, people weren't giving a shit, like, she's a doctor's receptionist, they get shit all day long, how nice is it that she's now in a position to say that people were generally grateful, and the same with Maria, you know, people being excited and happy and hopeful, like, that, that is really, really nice to hear, especially, you know, because I have very little interaction with outside, it's so nice to know that that's what's going on out there. Yeah, for sure, and I think because it it does feel so endless, and like, every day's the same I think it was nice for me to like stop and listen to like little snippets of other people's lives you know because you're not doing that as much you're not just especially for me because I'm not like obviously I sometimes I hate the fact that customers are just talking at me but you I'm not out as much you're not listening to other people's and hearing people's stories and you know like Marie said that's something she's missed so it's been it's been quite nice to just sit back and listen 